Hello, this is Bill Butts, president of the Population Reference Bureau, and today I'm interviewing Robert Moffat. Robert is the Krieger Eisenhower Professor of Economics at Johns Hopkins University, where his specialties that he's done research on and published on for a number of years uh, at Hopkins, Brown University, and other places are labor economics, econometrics, population economics, and the economics of anti-poverty policies and programs. Uh, for some while now, Robert has also been editor-in-chief of the American Economic Review. Robert, it's good to have you with us. Glad to be here, Bill. Good. Well, you know, with you, it's hard to know where to start, the, the breadth of your research, but we can limit ourselves somewhat by focusing in on anti-poverty programs today, and I think that's what I'd like to do. And your, your research here has been going on for a long time and is, is uh, wide-ranging and comprehensive. So why don't we begin by you taking a minute or two just to characterize the kinds of policies and programs that have been used in the U.S. to address, uh, to address poverty. Okay, I'd be happy to. Uh, the programs addressing poverty that are mostly affect poverty in the U.S. are usually divided into two types. One are programs called social insurance programs. Those are programs which are financed pretty much by the entire population. The classic example of that is uh, old age uh, Social Security for retirement. Uh, everyone pays into that from their earnings, and then when they're uh, uh, elderly and when they're retired, they receive benefits. Uh, Medicare is also of that type. Uh, we have a disability program called Social Security Disability Insurance, which are all, which is, uh, which are similar and to which everyone pays in and where they receive benefits if they ever become severely disabled. And the unemployment insurance program, which has the word insurance in its title, is similar. So there are social insurance programs, and those programs are not explicitly designed for addressing poverty. They are uh, designed to address uh, old age and retirement, uh, your health benefits when you're retired, uh, being unemployed or being disabled. And they're applied to everyone, whether they're poor or not. However, there are very, very large programs in terms of expenditure. And in terms of impact on poverty, they're very large and, in fact, larger than some of the programs that we call uh, explicitly anti-poverty programs. So that's one type, social insurance. Very interesting. So for that type, I, I take it we would probably have programs of that kind, even if uh, uh, poverty somehow defined were, uh, were very unimportant or non-existent. That's right. Regardless of uh, poverty uh, rates, uh, those programs would be in place. Most of those programs were begun in the 1930s in the Great right. Depression when every, many people were unemployed. Poverty was widespread, but they were really uh, addressed to help everyone and not just the poor. Okay. Uh, the other type are the explicitly anti-poverty programs. The buzzword we usually use for those are called means-tested programs. What that means is that what means is that, that the, it's a pun, I guess, that they are um, uh, designed for people with low means. That is, income or assets have to be low. So they're explicitly directed at the uh, disadvantaged portion of the population. There, the uh, most important one in terms of dollars today is the Medicaid program, which is a uh, 200, sorry, $328 billion uh, program in 2007 dollars, uh, far in excess of any other uh, anti-poverty program we have. It provides health benefits for uh, families with incomes below certain levels. 
this levels are different by state, but they uh, go directly to uh, families, and especially children who are poor. Uh, that program has grown tremendously over time and is, of course, very closely connected with the issues of health care reform Indeed. Uh, in our country. Uh, so uh, aside from Medicaid, which is a blockbuster program and uh, from some points of view swamps all the others, uh, the other major programs we have are uh, uh, programs, again, for the disabled, something called the Social Security Income Program, or uh, uh, sorry, um, Supplemental Security Income Program, SSI, which goes to uh, disabled and uh, elderly poor. Uh, but again, only people who have low income and assets. Yes. Uh, there is a uh, probably the most well-known program, used to be called AFTC, right. Aid to Families with Dependent Children. It's now called TANF, for Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. Uh, that program goes primarily to single mothers and their children, provides cash uh, if they have low income and assets again. So that's a, a well-known program. Well, let me let me shift now to ask you about the, the effectiveness of these programs. And I, I know this is a general question that, that covers uh, a great deal of territory. But in terms of process and particularly of results and impacts, uh, how how would you summarize how effective the the American approach to uh, to preventing and alleviating poverty through programs such as these has been? Well, I would characterize it as being uh, fairly successful. Uh, the uh, dollar, uh, sorry, the actual figures for how much these programs as a whole reduce the poverty rate is that they reduce it by about half. Huh. Um, is that right? About half in nineteen in two thousand seven. Uh, in the absence of these programs, uh, the poverty rate would have been about 30 uh, percent. And uh, after you add all the programs in, the poverty rate is only about 14 percent, okay. about half uh, what it would have been in the absence of the programs. Okay. So that's a very large impact uh, on, on, on poverty. And in terms of process, that, that is a large impact. In terms of process, one sometimes hears a, a criticism that some of these programs are wasteful, either because they're, they're not targeted efficiently or because the, the, the money or the in-kind provisions are not delivered uh, efficiently. Perhaps it misses people that they miss people that they should catch or they catch people that they should miss. Uh, what can be said about the, the process, the efficiency? Well, there are two things that can be said. One is that uh, many of these benefits do go to uh, families a little bit above their poverty line. Uh, we usually call those the near poor. Uh, for example, many of the studies examine how many of the benefits go to families with income between 100% of the poverty line and 100, 150% of the poverty line. But, but that's not necessarily inefficient, isn't it? That's it's not necessarily inefficient. Sometimes the targeting includes those people. It, it, it often includes those people. And in addition, what the poverty line is, should be itself is a, uh, under great discussion and, yes. and a little arbitrary. Um, so uh, those families are still low income by some definitions. Uh, so that's not necessarily uh, uh, bad. But the second problem I think people are mainly concerned about is that we have oh, maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine very large programs for the poor. Uh, but each one is directed at a specific group, uh, has a specific eligibility group. 
it's kind of a patchwork system. Yes. And many families who are uh, have income below the poverty line do not qualify or do not fit into one of the categories for the, one of the programs. And consequently, many people fall through the cracks. Uh-huh. Uh, the classic example of family that falls through the cracks are married couples. Yes. Uh, that is to say where you have a working poor family with a husband and a wife where the where the uh, husband is the father of the children and uh, uh, he's working and their income is not is going to be too high to qualify him for AFTC or TANF, uh, which is primarily for single mothers anyway. Uh, he's not going to be eligible for disability. Uh, he's not going to be uh, eligible for Medicaid because Medicaid at that income level was primarily for children. So really the only thing he's going to get is either food stamps or and he'll get some something from the Earned Income Tax Credit Program, the EITC, which I hadn't mentioned before, which provides uh, uh, supplements to uh, families that make uh, or wages or high enough earnings. Uh-huh. Um, but most of the major programs uh, he would not be eligible for. Well, very interesting. So, so clearly... Uh an inequity or a or a failure of, of I think what many people would consider to be fairness in the system. That's right. Uh, and another classic example are actually single uh, single individuals without any children at all, uh, and particularly single males. Now we have a, a serious problem with um, unemployed uh, males, particularly young males in some of our cities. Um, they receive occasionally a bit of help from the government in terms of training, uh, tr- job training programs. But other than that, uh, they're not really going to be eligible for any of these programs. And in an era where uh, it appears by many measures that it's exactly these males that are most the most vulnerable uh, in our society, or at least coming, coming high on vulnerability compared with the, the traditional groups that we've been concerned about, children and, and, uh, and uh, single mothers, for example. I, I think there are there's even been an increasing uh, uh, emphasis on children, and of course, uh, we all want to support children, and children uh, in their uh, young age need support, and hopefully uh, uh, giving children assistance when they're young will benefit them when they get older. On the other hand, uh, one doesn't want to neglect the adults either, and, um, and the mothers are somewhat well-supported, but the fathers uh, received very little support from the system as a whole. Yes. Well, uh, certainly the underlying demographics and economics here have created some of these changes. So when you look at these changes, uh, let's look back perhaps 15 years or so to the mid-'90s. What, what are the major changes in the anti-poverty policies and programs that have either evolved naturally or have been the, the result of our, our political and social system? Well, systems? I think the uh, most important development over the past 15 to 20 years has been the increasing emphasis on work. Yes. And employability and providing benefits to families that that have uh, higher income. Uh, the best example of that is the Earned Income Tax Credit, the EITC, uh, which is uh, a, uh, a $49 billion annual program which provides uh, tax supplements through the tax system to families with earnings. It uh, transfers a tremendous amount of money uh, to uh, families with somewhat higher incomes. Uh, the uh, AFTC TANF program, which I mentioned before, which is intended to provide support for families who can't work, 
has, on the other hand, uh, declined in significance. I see. Uh, expenditures have, have dropped drastically, and the number of uh, families receiving uh, benefits have declined. This, so you, yeah, go ahead. Okay, if, if we look overall at this, as you say, this increasing emphasis on work, uh, has that, uh, looking at that or looking at other aspects more generally, uh, what can we say uh, in total about uh, how well we're how how well we're doing compared to how we were doing, let's say, 15 years ago, in providing for people that uh, in the in the in the common perception in this country uh, ought to be provided for? Well, there's a common perception that the U.S. has gotten less generous over time and perhaps more conservative. And if you look at the total dollars spent on the, the low to families below the poverty line, that actually has gone up over time. Uh, it's uh, increased dramatically, especially in the early 1990s when the EITC was expanded, uh, food stamps grew, uh, the SSI program grew, a number of programs uh, were uh, particularly expansive in the early 1990s. Uh, today it's Medicaid that's growing the most. Yes. Uh, but if you look at the total dollars, they've uh, definitely gone up. Uh, what's happened, however, is there's been a redistribution within that category. Uh, the people who have more uh, receipt of benefits uh, from our system now are families that uh, work, uh, that have earnings. Uh -huh. uh, uh, if you happen to fall into a category like being, if you're disabled, your benefits have greatly increased. Uh, okay. If you're elderly, your benefits have increased. Yes. Uh, but if you are a single mother... Uh, uh, and you're not working, you're not working very much, uh, your benefits have gone down. Do you think these changes, that's very interesting, Robert, do you think these changes, uh, as you've just outlined them, have been intentional products of, uh, of political processes, or have they just kind of been haphazard byproducts of, of other kinds of policy and program changes? No, I think it's been intentional. Uh, the... Well, one has to acknowledge, however, it's very difficult to strike the right balance. Yes. Uh, over the past 20 years, it's been very explicit on the part of Congress, and I think the voters, uh, that they want to reward work. And they want to reward people who are demonstrably making an effort to help themselves. Um, at the same time, one wants to somehow help those people who have special difficulties. And... Uh, who have young children and have uh, very uh, difficulties uh, uh, finding work in this kind of labor market, particularly today, of course, the recession, but even in normal times. Uh, though their benefits have declined. I'm not sure that's intentional, uh, but it's very difficult to, to, to separate, I think, what the public regards as, as deserving yes. uh, families from, yes. quote-unquote, undeserving families. Yes. Uh, how to make that, that distinction is, is a problem that I think has not been solved. That, that's very tough, isn't it? And probably goes to very underlying values that, uh, that, that reach very deeply. Let me, let's end by heading toward the future a bit. And, uh, and I'd, like, I'd like to have you speculate for a moment on what your research findings or those of others might suggest about changes in the policies or programs that would make them more effective or efficient or, or improve their 
their impact. You've, you've mentioned uh, targeting, or you've, you've mentioned the changes that some parts of the populations are underserved. Uh, are there other things that your research suggests that would uh, improve our performance in these very important aspects? Well, I think probably one of the most important uh, reforms that my research has suggested is concerns the uh, TANF program, which I mentioned has declined. Yes. Today, the most serious problem with the TANF program is that it has uh, failed to uh, uh, provide an adequate safety net during times of high unemployment, in particular the Great Recession that we're in now. Yes. Uh, as a result of the reforms of the 1990s, the TANF program was converted to a block grant program, which means each state receives a fixed amount of money uh, to spend on their families. Uh, that is about as fixed in dollar terms, so it's not even adjusted for inflation, but it's certainly not adjusted during recessionary times I see. when more families come in. You have to contrast that with the federal food stamp program, which uh, is an entitlement program, and all families who are eligible or can receive benefits and expenditures just go up. Uh, so the TANF program right now is not serving nearly enough of the families that need help during the recession. So a major reform that's needed is to make some kind of adjustment in the financing of that program so yes. that during recessionary times the families would receive more benefit. This is a, <clears throat> this is a flaw or a deficiency that, that really came to light in spades because of the, the severity and length of the current recession. Yes, it wasn't um, uh, clear until now when the block grant was created in 1996 the amount of the block grant was very generous, and uh, it was far beyond anything the states really needed, uh, And uh, but it's been held constant, and it's declined in real terms, and now during the recession, uh, everyone recognizes uh, that there's not insufficient funds. I should say that President Obama, in his stimulus bill, did uh, add some extra money uh, in that for the TANF program just for this purpose. Uh, it lasted two years, and has now run out. It appears as though Congress is not going to do that. Uh, so in the future, we shouldn't have to rely on these ad hoc decisions of Congress to decide to add more money or not more. Well, Robert, okay. taking us from the past to the future, uh, right through the current recession, and you've taken us uh, through breadth and depth, <laughs> and in a remarkable, speaking of efficiency and impact, in a remarkably uh, short and uh, fact-filled uh, amount of time. So I thank you. We've been talking with uh, Robert Moffat, who is the Krieger Eisenhower Professor of Economics at Johns Hopkins University. Robert, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. I enjoyed it. Okay.